Hello and welcome to Adapt Radio. My name is Claire O'Connell and today we're talking about artificial intelligence and sustainable cities. From the Adapt Centre at Trinity College, this is Adapt Radio, presenting groundbreaking innovations one conversation at a time. How can technology improve how we live in cities and how those cities work for us and for the planet? Our guests today are looking at how digital technology can transform Dublin into a more livable city without costing the earth. And a big part of that is engaging with the citizens who live there. These two wonderful guests are with us today to tell us all about it. Professor Afra Kerr is Professor in Sociology at Maynooth University and Jamie Cudden is the Smart City Programme Manager at Dublin City Council. You're both very welcome to the podcast. Jamie, can I start by asking what kinds of aspects of Dublin city life and services are open to digital transformation and how might you or I or anyone listening experience that in a city? Hi Claire, great to be here. Um, it, it's interesting, like a lot of the technology that sits behind cities is almost like it's invisible. And, you know, as you're kind of commuting into your work or you're using the roads or driving or cycling, you know, there's all sorts of things happening behind the scenes, for example, optimizing the traffic lights and making sure that, you know, pedestrians have priority or that the sequences, sequencing is, is optimizing the flow of traffic in the city. Uh, to sensors, you know, collecting information uh, in terms of the number of cars or the number of cyclists that we can use to, you know, see how our schemes are doing or what the level of congestion is and use that for policy intervention. So there's just so many different technologies to sensors that measure, you know, river levels, uh, rainfall, uh, hitting, you know, it, it, in, in like the levels of rainfalls at the sensors as well. You know, so there's just a air quality. I can go on like there's such a big list, you know, even the bins. A lot of people don't realise that, that, you know, that we have about 500 smart bins in the city. These are these big belly bins that, you know, compact the waste by up to six times, but also in real time tell you how full the bin is. So sending messages back uh, to, to waste management and, and, and staff to ensure the cleaning's done in the most efficient way. So it's just that the proliferation of, of sensors and technology has just really just exploded over the last, you know, five uh, 10 years and what was once you know these big massive technology systems that were really clunky and you know difficult to manage are now kind of real small scale kind of uh, you know low cost sensors uh, digital services and you know it's just just so many so much potential and so much opportunity to use this data and the technology in a way to make a difference to deliver better services and policies for our cities. We're only on the cusp, I think, of what's possible. I think we're just starting to really think about, you know, where this is all going and what the role of the city is, what the role of technology is. And then how do, of course, you know, the most important thing, how do we make sure that this is impacting uh, citizens and delivering better services and outcomes? So that's like, for me, if I'm going for a walk in Dublin, everything from me sort of crossing the road at a, at a pedestrian light to using the bin to breathing the air, all that is, can be made better with technology. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's not the technology is just an enabler, I guess. And, you know, it's how you use the, the information that comes off that is, is really key. But absolutely. I mean, I, I think one thing that, that excites me over the last 10 or 15 years is just the increasing use of data to deliver and, and support decisions. I think we're moving away from just, you know, okay, what's the right decision? Let's have a chat in a room and whoever thinks they know the best, you know, that makes the decision to actually data-driven decision-making. And that, to me, that's something I'm very passionate about and something I guess we'll talk about today. Absolutely. So this is where research comes in, isn't it? And, and Dublin City Council is partnering with ADAPT on two projects in particular, um, Smart 
and the Digital Twin Project. So maybe Afra, could you tell us a little bit about those projects from an ADAPT perspective? Yeah, great. Um, So ADAPT is a government-funded research centre focused on digital content technologies and increasingly around AI and data. And um, it involves eight different universities, uh, all the Dublin universities, but also Maynooth and other universities around the country. And um, we have a particular research focus in some of the work in that strand about how to develop um, trustworthy uh, data governance practices um, and how to design them in as early as possible into the design of new technology systems. So how can we attend to data governance, the collection of data in an ethical kind of manner, and then the use of, of data right throughout the life cycle of a particular service from the initial design all the way through. Um, and a second thing that we're particularly interested in is how do we bring and where do we bring citizens in? Of course, some of our citizens are technology experts as well. If you look across the city of Dublin, you have a lots of technology experts already there. So many of the citizens can be quite expert in their areas. And then you have other people who are using the services and and can inform us on what are the barriers to actually, you know, getting their planning or trying to get their driving license or whatever it happens to be as they engage with the state and the city. Um, So there's a number of areas we think we can probably contribute to the design of the services, but also make sure that we're not just gathering data for data's sake, but actually we're using it in a way that is both ethically and legally compliant with emerging regulations nationally and at European level. And so I think the ADAPT Centre, we have um, legal scholars, we have computer scientists, we have a few people like me, these around the social, social scientists who are interested in engaging directly with the citizens. And so by working together and now working together with Smart Dublin, who is trying to reimagine, rethink services in the city, we think we have a pretty good partnership and and over the last year, we designed two projects, one in the D8 area, which citizens or listeners might associate with the kind of broader liberties, Dublin 8, literally the Dublin 8 postal district area, which has about 25,000 um, citizens in the broader area. So it's quite a large Irish town, if you like, that, that area. It has a hospital, it has universities, all of these in that area. That project is going to focus on health and well-being in particular. So how can we manage new projects, data projects and AI that will focus on health and well-being? The second project is more broadly around Dublin, but is focused on something called digital twins. How can we use some of the new emerging technologies to imagine new ways of engaging with citizens, which might be developing a digital tin of a twin of a campus of, it can be actually of a person, but usually we're doing of um, an institution. And how can we map what might happen and show, better show citizens how things might develop in the future to really engage with them? So that's our two projects. And it's really multi-stakeholder, meaning we're trying to bring the citizens, the state, the academics all together. And it's trying to focus on where best can we bring citizens into the conversation to design these services and then finally probably to do them in this ethical and legal manner. It's very clear from both of you that citizens are at the heart of of these projects. Um, So public engagement and buy-in is obviously hugely important. Afra, have attitudes towards digital or smart cities changed over the years, do you think? 
I think our understanding of what constitutes a smart city has changed quite a lot um, and is continuing to change. What does that term mean even is up for debate. (laughs) Um, And we could spend the whole podcast just talking about what on earth is a smart city. Um, You know, weren't we smart before we had technologies? Uh, Maybe is this just making us more smart in how we do things, you know? So that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, We, of course, cities, um, maybe we're less good at this in Ireland about direct engaging in citizens traditionally, but I think we now have a number of modes, whether it is simply from putting things out to public consultation, using kind of surveys and doing focus groups and things. We're now trying to think, what are the other ways we can do public engagement, right? Um, ADAPT runs, for example, Citizen Think-Ins, where we bring a whole range of people together to talk about a particular type of project or challenge or technology challenge. And then we try and use the outcomes of that to help us design uh, new services. We can also use the technologies themselves to reach people who, you know, can't turn up to your local town hall or your local focus group or your local library because they're busy doing their day jobs, caring for people, whatever they happen to be doing. So how can we use some of the technologies and the apps themselves to also bring in other groups that we've found difficult to reach in the past? So I think we can use a multiple range of tools to engage with citizens and then to take these learnings to inform what we're going to develop, the new services we're going to develop. And Jamie, from your perspective, what are your thoughts on ensuring that people are on board with smart and sustainable cities and that they themselves can help to shape them? Yeah, and I think, I mean, coming back to your question, you, you asked after what a smart city is, and there's no clear uh, de- definition there, but certainly a smart city is not about technology. It's not, you know, I think the early days of smart cities was kind of very much technology-led, it was industry-led. And, and I think for sure, you know, we've, we've done a whole kind of pivot in that it's actually about, you know, what impact it can make to solving challenges or, you know, delivering, this was better outcomes for, for citizens. So really for, for citizens, it's, it, I'll give you a, a really good example, you know, of, of some of the type of stuff that we're experimenting with that we're seeing really great traction. You know, if you think about it, I don't know if you've seen much about active travels, you know, and, and cycle schemes in Dublin. I mean, post COVID, it's probably one of the biggest pivots and shifts in terms of just massive, investment in all things cycling and walking, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And it's something that you know we absolutely have to do to reach our climate uh, ambitions. If you think about how we traditionally consult on schemes like that, you know, it's probably, you know, you come into city council offices and there's all these drawings and there's kind of paper-based kind of, um, you know, big reports, 100 pages or 1,000 pages even, technical engineering reports. And, and maybe some town hall or local community centre engagement. And you kind of think that that's kind of okay for certain people. But what about people, as you say, after, you know, don't have the time or just don't understand what it all means? And what we're really trying to look at in terms of these this idea of these digital twins is how can you use technology in a way to kind of allow people to engage and visualise and see these things, you know, in gaming engine type simulations, uh, 3D models, um, online tools that work on your mobile device, you know, not a clunky desktop or an old browser that's, you know, desktop only. And, and, I, and I think what we've seen with the shift to cloud, you know, the, the proliferation of mobile and 
processing and everything, all of a sudden this this type of stuff is really accessible on tablets, on mobile devices, and it's actually really engaging. You can even put on a headset um, and uh, you know, could potentially go to your library and put a headset on. And, you know, we, we've done stuff where, you know, we tested people sitting on a bike with a headset uh, simulating a new infrastructure scheme and what that could look like. You know what I mean? So you're actually cycling this game before it's built. So, you know, that that's the future, I think. Um, it's it's not an easy path to get there because you're, you're, you're dealing with all these legacy systems and old school engineering and architecture and how, you know, we all did things this way. And we're trying to, I suppose, upscale and, and rethink about what the future looks like for this more design-led, service design-led and kind of citizen-centric approach uh, to engagement. So I think that's, that's probably a, a good example that might illustrate. And we're kind of piloting projects in this space over the next year, work on our active travel team to see what the future could look like. And it very much, I suppose, resonates with the ambition of our smart city program, which is, you know, you can get caught up in definitions, but really what we're thinking about is future-proofing the city. And, you know, with all this new technology, how do we future-proof in this, the city in a way that we're using it the right way? We're using data in a way that's trusted, um, that's prospecting privacy, but in a way that actually delivers benefits for all. I love that. The fact that you might be sitting on a bike, cycling through kind of a, an environment and, and, and exper- almost experiencing it rather than sitting down and reading a massive document about it. That's a, that, that sounds like much more fun to me. Afra, I want to ask you, how can technology help protect the privacy of the people who are sharing information with a smart city? Because it's driven by the data. How do we, how do we make sure the privacy is, is done right there? So there's lots of emerging research in this area. So there's research on technologies and research uh, to look at privacy preserving ways of gathering data. This is can some of the uh, uh, work now be done on the device rather than sharing everything centrally, for example. That's one way in which we can think about this. Um, There's other ways about thinking about how do we consent people into this process you know, so there's some things that are non-technical and then there's certainly some things which are technical. But a lot of the ways we have to also think about this is also the data management. So after it's gathered, where does it go? Who's it shared with? What's that process? And how do we make sure that we have that planned and we know what's going to happen? You know, we are complex, something like Smart Dublin and, and the larger Dublin City Council is a complex organization with multiple, org, you know, multiple sections and all of this, then working with third parties and everything. So it is a a data management problem as well, right throughout the pipeline. So we have to think right at the beginning that people know, or do they know what they're consenting into? Uh, If we can't consent them in, is it gathered in such a way that it's very much privacy preserving uh, on the device, for example? And then we have to think about the pipeline of where that data goes and how it's used and how it's shared. Now, in a standard research university project, we do an ethics proposal right at the beginning before we're allowed even talk to a person. Uh, We then, if it's publicly funded, we have to gather and do a data management plan. And then we have to work on the data to make sure that it is in a, um, a state where it can actually be reused, but in a privacy preserving way. And most projects now have to put as much attention into managing the data and then anonymizing it, making sure, and that's also still tricky, making sure it can be used by other parties, but in a way which actually respects the original conditions under which it was gathered. And I'm not sure we were there Um, on all of those stages yet. And that's where pilots and working with Smart Dublin will help us to test some of these before um, they're potentially rolled out 
across, you know, city councils more generally. So smart, the Smart Dublin collaboration will enable us to to look at that kind of pipeline right from the gathering and see really are we uh, in line with best practice at the moment around privacy. And it's not just individual privacy, it's group privacy as well. And that's where it really gets tricky. You know, I can agree, but I haven't agreed for all my friends and all my family. And how, how does that then work uh, when we're gathering it in, in a kind of city and organisational context? So, yeah, it's a tricky one. And that's why, you know, this research and these collaborations are important. And Jamie, what are your thoughts on 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 that approach to to privacy for citizens? Yeah, I mean it's 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 such a it's such a hot topic. Um, we're we're very fortunate that we're a member of an international group called Cities for Digital Rights, and it's run by the UN Habitat, and it's something that we take extremely seriously because you know a lot of the work we do in technology and smart cities is built on trust. And, you know, trust is so important to kind of build momentum and bring people along on the journey. And it just takes one hiccup or one misstep in terms of privacy that can ruin your uh, reputation. And when you're working with technologies like, you know, drones, um, I guess, Internet of Things, uh, AI, I mean, this becomes super important because it's scary enough as the technology itself, but then the application, the data that's generated. So really, you know, what, what what's been a big I suppose game changer for us over the years has been just GDPR, uh, general data protection um, regulation. And and now we have a very strong process internally in terms of developing data protection impact assessments on all projects. And even if we're small projects, I may give you an example of a project we're working on at the moment is just looking at, you know, what's, what, 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 how are drones being used uh, in the city? We're seeing a massive proliferation of the use of drones and obviously you've seen all the publicity in the airport and we're trying to develop a strategy for how maybe we can support drones externally but also deliver better services internally using drone services, you know, getting to reach areas that are difficult to reach and do all sorts of things that are very effective for city council services. But of course, everyone else is starting to use drones as well. So you get this congestion in kind of airspace. So there, there's lots of technology that you can use to kind of measure this type of thing. But, you know, you have to be so careful in terms of, you know, what the regulations are uh, in terms of, you know, what the basis is that we are collecting uh, data. And there has to be a legislative basis and there has to be well-defined um, guidelines in terms of what we do with the data in the end. I mean, another project that you know, I was very excited about a couple of years ago was looking at how maybe we could use cameras to support enforcement of bike lanes. And it's a big bugbearer of mine in terms of cars kind of parking in bike lanes or blocking bus lanes and the fact that there's zero enforcement uh, off that. And, you know, a bit of technology could just be a game changer there, but that brings with it all sorts of challenges in terms of, you know, license place recognition and whose role is it and who's managing the data, uh, et cetera. So we're, we're kind of, you know, there's loads of cool things that the, the technology can do, but the data, you know, privacy and the, I suppose, the, the ordinance of the data and where it goes and how it's used is so important uh, to get that right. And we need the right laws. We need the right legal basis to be able to deliver a lot of these projects. But for me, the most important thing is trust. And, you know, when we work on these projects, we need to make sure that we, that people trust us. Um, and as a public body and, you know, as the agency managing public space at the city, we have a serious role to play in that. Um, so obviously trust is huge, as you mentioned. Um, and one way to engender trust is to, is to do things responsibly. And we've talked about privacy. What about other aspects of engaging with smart cities, Afra. I know you're you're very interested in the sort of the ethical and responsible use of technology. So, can you tell us a, a little bit about that more broadly? Yeah, sure. There's um, 
at the moment, there's a lot of debates at the European level about uh, and also in a lot of the professional organizations. So the engineering professional bodies, IEEE, ACM for computers and also in the social sciences about, you know, how when you're designing a technology, can you at least foresee some of the consequences and how can you then act responsibly throughout the kind of cycle? And um, this is potentially, at least in some areas, quite a different approach to doing design rather than saying, okay, we can make it. So we will make it. It's actually about thinking, why are we going to make it? And which way will we make it to make it work in the context in which we want to make it right? So there's probably 10 different ways in which you could design a service, but which one will be privacy preserving and actually ensure responsibility? And I think the broader issue that's the debate that's ongoing, even at the European level at the moment, is where will responsibility lie? Will it will be uh, a lot of these particularly AI technologies might be developed and sold by a major multinational company, but then applied by, you know, a city council with a local SME and, you know, local citizens. So where and how would we decide the responsibility chain in in some sort of a service like this? Um, it hasn't been, we can see at the moment, they're talking about how to define AI as part of the AI Act. Where will responsibility lie? Will generative AI even be part of it? All of these things are up for debate and some of the listeners will be well abreast of these and others may not be. But the point is that we really do have to think hard about where responsibility will lie. Now, the work that some of my colleagues internationally have been doing have been looking at cooperative forms of responsibility, looking forward and, and really trying to say where and how can we make sure that whoever has designed the algorithm or the AI, whatever data it has been trained on, which is a huge issue at the moment, uh, you know, I think we could safely say we've gone out of the Wild West of just grabbing all data that's just available out there on the Internet as if it didn't actually originate with, in many cases, people's photographs and people's posts on Facebook or on Twitter. You know, I think we've gone past that now. That sort of way of training the huge language models may be coming to an end. And and the reason is because it's so hard to think about the responsibility at the early stage there. And that's even before that's sold on. Um, you know, most of the universities at the moment are struggling with the chat GPTs and the impact it's having on our assessments. It was released, you know, in the last two, three months. And we're already seeing assignments coming in to our lecture halls where we're saying this is clearly not written by the student and the style changes half the way through and all this sort of stuff. Or it's completely wrong. Like it's, it, it's got made up, it's got made up quotations. It's got made up citations. It may even have citations made up for the lecturer of the course. So the lecturer knows they're completely made up and the AI thinks it's fine because it does make sense in the sense of how an AI makes sense, but it does not make sense for us. And it is being really disruptive on the educational end. I think that's not best practice. I think we want to get to a place which is much better than that, where before something is just generally released, we have an idea about the kind of disruptive powers of that and that the companies who are releasing it, we have some mechanisms for tracing responsibility and coming up with some solutions for some of the things uh, that may happen downstream. So it's an active research area. 
I think the only way forward is to have some form of, of collaborative or cooperative forms of responsibility and, and to make sure that everybody realizes that there's always going to be unintended consequences, but it's how we address that as, as we go ahead. It's how you try and minimize those from the start, the unintended consequences. Yeah. 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 Jamie, I'm interested in hearing more about uh, using Dublin 8 as a testbed for these smart city technologies and engagement models. Uh, As you were saying, I think around 25,000 people live in that area and many, many more will be travelling through on their way to A to B or going to that hospital or going to that university or whichever it is. So can you tell me a little bit more about how far along that project is and what kind of plans there are for it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I mean, first to maybe step back a little bit and just talk a little bit about our approach to kind of how we test and pilot things in the city. And, you know, when we set up our smart city program about seven, eight years ago, one thing we realized very quickly is Dublin City Council is quite a big organization, complex. The city's very challenging to work in and make change happen fast. And what we decided to do was to set up this idea of a kind of an accelerated test bed. Um, and our first one was a partnership with Trinity College through the Connect Research Centre and it was in Docklands. And the reason we picked Docklands is because a lot of new development, they were putting in state-of-the-art kind of uh, technology and, and we felt like there was an opportunity to maybe accelerate innovation in that district, working with kind of internal stakeholders and use it as a kind of a test bed, which is kind of unusual for the City Council to be kind of quite proactive to kind of try and do things quicker and, you know, engage with industry, academia, citizens, communities, and put it all together in a way that could deliver impact. And that certainly worked really, really well uh, for, for Docklands. And we particular emphasis on future connectivity, which was like 5G and what are the networks that will enable these future solutions to thrive. And on the back of that, we thought this model was actually, and actually had worked, was really delivering impact. And we then set up a second district, which was the Dublin City University, which was a campus and to work with students was like a mini city in itself. Um, and we could do things like, you know, test out e-scooters and delivery bots and stuff on the campus because, you know, they didn't need to get permission uh, like we would need to get for doing things like that in the city centre. And through those collaborations, you know, people started to you know, taking notice and we generated a kind of, I suppose, a network of like-minded kind of, uh, you know, people from different sectors who said, hey, how could we do this in maybe the health and wellness uh, space? And it was through the Digital Hub, uh, St. James's and the HSE and others were like, could we try this around the Dublin 8 district? Because it's quite a unique mix um, of old and new. It's kind of very historic parts of the city. And also we had this children's hospital uh, being built, one of the biggest infrastructure projects in the state. And, you know, how could we look at this campus from a perspective of health and wellness and what's the role of technology in that? And that was about two, three years ago. In fact, actually, we launched it just before COVID. So <laughs> it was a, it was a difficult time, but in fact, it proved that, you know, we, we could uh, work uh, to address some of these challenges around health and wellness. And COVID was a real accelerator uh, for that and all things digital. So we were able to kind of work with AFRA and um, ADAPT to kind of think, well, how could we bring in that unique aspect in terms of academia and that collaborative piece to the partnership, which included St. James's, you know, um, our Smart Dublin team, Dublin City Council and the Digital Hub. And, you know, on the back of it, it was about 
testing new ideas and approaches to health and wellness. And we ran a whole range of pilots over the last two years. So it, it's really that kind of a safe space to innovate fast, to learn and hopefully pick up the good ideas and scale across the partner organization. So I don't know, Afra, if you wanted to kind of add anything to that, but it's been, um, I, I think you guys came in a little bit later, but it was to add that dimension in terms of the expertise that adapt bring and to bring that to the partnership, I think was the key uh, piece that we were looking to kind of fill in the jigsaw with. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you are ever going to do a health and well-being test, why not during COVID and an absolute pandemic? So so that project started just as COVID was, uh, you know, was kick, kicking off. And uh, so the first round of, of small pilots, um, you know, had a challenging start. And then we just have just come in uh, and um, the D8 project just hired and, and our postdoc start, Jack Land, just started last October. So it's relatively new. And we've spent the time just figuring out who are the key stakeholders, who are new people we could bring in, who weren't involved maybe in the first round. And now there's a current call for pilots is open at the moment for a second round of small pilots. And these are looking for new types of uh, kind of app and other projects where we're saying, well, how can we think about small projects in that area of Dublin that might engage with different stakeholders, use some of these technologies and, you know, where we can bring in um, uh, multi-stakeholders. So maybe academics, the local hospitals, uh, citizens, people passing through the area, whatever it might be. So, I mean, the first couple of pilots were really fascinating and I can't claim to have had anything to do with that. I love I love the B8, which is around bees and beekeeping. So, you know, it's a very broad, uh, so it is the health and well-being, but in a very broader sense, right? And now in this uh, set of pilots that we're looking for ideas from anyone really to step forward, it could be around, broadly around health, well-being more generally in the population, as long as it's somewhere in that D8 area, right, we'll be looking. So there's a, currently a call out, spread the word amongst all the listeners, have a look at the website for Smart Dublin to see if people have an idea or for uh, a new kind of app or a new type of project in the area of health and well-being in D8. Maybe think about this, there's a little bit of monetary support for people, and then they will get to work with the partnership, the broader stakeholders to try and develop and deliver that that uh, project. And of course, we can then call in and build upon the expertise across the wider ADAPT area. Um, we like to think that ADAPT, while it works with data, is very much at the service application and user level rather than the kind of sensors level. Although they, um, I'm sure there's certainly people there who tell me, Afra, we know all about sensors as well. But, you know, we are focused on the application services and the users, and we're really focused on how to, to roll these out in a manner that really will improve things for people's lives. Um, so that project is ongoing and we we have a partnership now for two years and let's see where this goes. I think there's a lot of potential in this these these two projects. That's the D8 one. Um, so in our second project, Digital Twin, that actually has, has really just started. We had somebody, Manny, has just been in place since, since December. So they had the first three months and we're really starting to map who are the different players in this uh, ecosystem in Dublin, what expertise already exists what data exists. And now we're starting to plan our program. And I think we're starting to see that in planning is probably one area where we do think digital twins can be mobilized. We uh, see around climate uh, and around the 
planning around climate and climate mitigation, environmental issues. Uh, one of the things perhaps coming a little bit later might be how could we use this in the area of culture, culture and tourism. But at the moment, I think we're going to start is going to be looking at planning. Um, as a citizen of Dublin myself, uh, you know, um, We've been in various uh, different consultations with the city around developments all around. Um, I live in the North Dublin area. And even as a citizen, I can kind of think about ways in which this might be mobilised. So I, I do think we can bring this expertise now in the digital twins and see where and how can we use this? Because it is quite fascinating for people who have... Uh, you know, some of the abilities, digital literacy to use these technologies, but even the fact that they are relatively intuitive if the technology is provided to people, say, just to engage with looking at a big new planned hospital, a big new planned uh, development in the city to visualize it in a different way. That's not a 3D map. I've seen these 3D maps. I'm looking at it going... How high is that next to the other thing? And it's on a flat map and I'm looking at the light, trying to see where it's coming in for sunlight and daylight. You know, all of these things, we can just show them visually in a digital twin, how the light progresses during the day from morning to evening. You know, all of this can be modeled and then communicated better to both citizens and also to our public representatives. So who in many cases might have to vote on a new development or also have to be informed. So I'm thinking about the citizens here in a very broad way of all of the people who are engaged in or could be engaged in trying to plan new developments around the city. And I don't know if I could think of a more, you know, contested space at the moment than planning, uh, it, you know, planning around the city as we, you know, we take a medieval city and we try and scale it up for contemporary living. Yes. And that's a particularly old part of the city that you're, you're, you're basing in, in Dublin 8. Both of these projects are at relatively early stages. What would your vision of success for them be? You know, what would it be like for me as a citizen to live in Dublin in, say, five or 10 years based on successful outcomes of these projects? Jamie? That's a nice, easy question. Um, I think, um, you know, for, for me, it's about delivering impact and, and, and traction and I think, you know, we've been lucky in terms of the partnership with ADAPT. It's it's building upon like multiple projects across our digital innovation, transformation and smart city program. So we, we've invested heavily, you know, a couple of million euro on a lot of our innovation projects. So I think the partnership with ADAPT is really to kind of bring that additional kind of expertise and, and thinking in terms of, you know, maybe add an independent perspective in terms of, you know, are we on the right direction? You know, is, are some of these pilots, you know, are they ones that we should be thinking about, you know, scaling up? Um, what are some of the considerations that we should be looking at in terms of maybe not making mistakes um, in terms of the you know, strategy direction or, you know, maybe technologies we're going to buy into? So, I think the lovely thing about the Smart City program and these partnerships is that we're not saying these projects are the projects that are going to be the big projects for the next five, 10 years. We're saying let's experiment, let's test and let's learn from them and then pick the good bits and then try and bring them back into the system to try and scale up through our kind of traditional, you know, transformation programs. And I think, you know, what you'll find, Claire, is that like, well, the technology can do so much and, you know, we can use gaming engines and we can visualize all this stuff. We do have to work within, you know, statutory requirements and, you know, planning is probably the most rigid of all the processes. And, you know, I think, you know, until, you know, we get some, I suppose, engagement with, you know, policy at a national level with the people who, you know, are involved in the statutory piece to kind of think, how can you 
build or tweak the process to allow some of these new technologies being used because there's real fear in terms of that you know this innovation can disrupt the statutory process which if you get that wrong you know there's there's a libelist and there's all sorts of actions that can be taken against you and, and it's not just planning but i find that like a lot of the programs that we're trying to develop, whether it's how we better use curbside in the city to optimize deliveries or, you know, reduce congestion, a lot of it doesn't come down to the technology, it comes down to people and processes and rules and policies and regulation. And, and sometimes that's not in the control of the city council. It's it's down to kind of national policies. It might, um, you know, maybe some of the stuff we can tweak and we can create that test bed environment. But it's, it's really about that national, regional, local piece and academia, industry, city all working together to kind of say, okay, this is what the future could look like. How do we get there? It's not going to be easy. And some bits, some bits, we'll pick the winner, the easy ones to kind of get through, but some of them will be much more challenging. But it's about, I suppose, articulating some of these recommendations and communicating this to the right people, the right decision makers, and helping shape these future policies that can future-proof not just the city, but our country. And Afra? Well, I guess... Uh- what I lo- I'm already really um, enjoying about the collaboration is, first of all, we're getting to learn from other cities through some ongoing projects. So what are best practices in other cities? So Dublin doesn't have to invent everything itself. I mean, it would be great if we were the best practice on everything, right? But, you know, we can learn from other cities and that's already happening through that UN Habitats project and other projects that are ongoing. I would like to think that we have had an impact on also upskilling workers uh, within DCC in certain areas around these new technologies. And we're already looking to roll out, um, you know, some new training initiatives where uh, people who have to procure, work with the data, uh, plan these projects also themselves are are upgrade are upskilled to understand what are the kinds of issues around this. So that's internally in Smart Dublin and other areas, maybe in DCC as appropriate. And then the third thing is um, within the area of sociology that I'm in, they always talk about, you know, we never understand uh, or see a technology until it breaks down. And then we understand how reliant we have you know, become upon it, right? You lose your internet connection or your phone drops down the the toilet or something, and then you realize, crikey, you know. But actually, what would be a really great outcome is that if one or two of the pilots, even if it was just one, was kind of seamlessly brought into some area of the city and just rolled out, and then maybe other parts of the smart districts or even other cities in Ireland said, that would be a really great thing for us to adopt. And we had worked out the frameworks. We had citizen engagement built in, and it just worked. No, no breaking stories in the newspapers necessarily, just, it just works. And that to me would be just a fabulous outcome from a project like this. If just one of those pilots rolled out seamlessly without too much hoo-ha, and we just got the data gathering, the engagement and the impact right, that would be, I'd be very happy with that. Well, thank you both Afra and Jamie for coming in to talk to us today on the podcast. You've given us lots to think about, about the future of smart cities. Thank you very much. That's great, Claire. Thank you. If you would like to find out more about Jamie and Afra's work and how they're exploring how best to transform cities, I have put some links into the show notes. So please do go and check them out. Until next time, from myself, Claire O'Connell, Sloan, and thank you for listening. The Adapt Radio podcast is brought to you by the Adapt Centre at Trinity College Dublin. 
Find out more about their extensive research work at adaptcenter.ie. Join us next time to hear about more groundbreaking innovations. To get new episodes automatically, just click the follow button on your player right now. The Adapt Radio podcast is produced by DustPod.io with episodes monthly on Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.